Lord, we just thank you that we can meet around your word today and ask that you would bless it to our hearts as we study a little bit about Abraham and his faith. We've spoken so much in the scripture and so much about Abraham. And so we want to look at it again today in the light of Hebrews 11. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, coming to the end of Hebrews is part of Paul's trilogy from Habakkuk, where the just shall live by faith. He talks about this in Romans, how to be justified by faith. And in Galatians, he talks about how to live after you're justified by faith in the book of Galatians. And here in Hebrews, the just shall live by faith. And what is faith? These Jewish people in the first century, they believed in Jesus and were progressing along and then persecution came. And many of them couldn't take the faith. They slipped back into Judaism. They maybe lost their jobs, their families, like people today that come out of Muslim lands and accept Jesus. Their families reject them. A lot of people in Jewish families. And so these people were falling away, slipping away, drawing back. These are the words Paul uses. You think I'm saying Paul, but Dr. Ironside said that all of Paul's letters have a secret mark, whether he signs it Paul or not. And it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's at the end of every one of Paul's letters, so if you know he wrote this, and it fits in with the trilogy anyway. So as we look through this, we've seen examples of slipping away, and the big example was the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. They have seen you know, every sign you could imagine from the, of the glory of the Lord. The, the Red Sea parting, and can you imagine being a part of that and going through on dry land? You just have to say, well, I, I'm a part of a great miracle. And then getting across and getting into the land and not having any water and then having a huge stream come out of the mountain that waters them and made a lake in them for, for 40 years. Then they were bread from heaven every day. And it's just all of these things. And yet, when Moses went up in Exodus, to in the cross in the uh, what is it the cross chapter that it was or before that even when he went up into the mountain there was an eighteenth to get the Ten Commandments. It wasn't long before they made a golden calf, which is what they worshipped in Egypt. Because they'd been there four hundred years, so they were infected with this idolatry of Egypt. In fact the whole world was Abraham was before he got God, God called him and he got to be a man of faith. He was an idolater. His family were in old Chaldees, where Babylon is today, where Iraq is today. So these people were slipping away, falling back, and now we come to the... But, but Paul is saying here in the last verse of chapter 10, we are not of those who draw back to judgment, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So now he's going to give the definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So we see this important verse, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things God used to create are no longer available for us science to even check on, because it's finished. Things which are seen were not made of things which were visible. Then Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, and he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and even though he died 6,000 years ago, he being dead yet speaks, and the King James yet speaketh. And isn't that wonderful to think that right away he knew about a blood sacrifice that would cover over his sin, 
that Adam and Eve knew about. And so that's how he came to God with a, a little, the death of a little lamb and he, he had the altar. His brother wouldn't do that, so his brother killed him. Then Enoch, the seventh from Adam, was translated that he didn't see death and was not found. There were two people in the Old Testament that never saw death, Enoch and Elijah. And Enoch was the first. He was translated so he didn't see death and wasn't found. They looked for him because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is. This is important. Believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, we're diligently seeking him now. And I've been diligently seeking him in this paper I've been writing, which is too much for an 80, almost an 87-year-old to be doing. But I'm interested in it, and I want to diligently find out all there is to know about it. So we diligently seek him in his word. And by faith, nor being divinely warned of things not seen, we never reigned before Noah's time, and the earth was watered by a mist that went up from the ground, never seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now we come to Abraham, this one of whom so much of the Bible is, is mentioned as an example. I mean, not, we, we saw about him in, in Galatians, in the Romans, and all through the scriptures in, in the book of James he's mentioned, and here. So, by faith Abraham, believing in something he hadn't seen yet, but he just trusted what the Lord said. He trusted God's word. He obeyed God when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. And, you know, I have these wonderful quotes by John Phillips, who's no longer able to preach. He, he was just a wonderful, wonderful preacher from Wales. And he has this series of three on Abraham. And it's just wonderful hearing how God called him back in Ur of Chaldees. Anyway, back in Ur of Chaldees, God called him, and he was an idolater. But he was a very prominent man back then. Because this God, when he went to take all his, Dr. Dr. Philip says, when he went to the bank to draw his money out, the bank said, well, Mr. Abraham, surely you don't want to, haven't we been fair with you? And, and haven't you, you've been one of our best customers and, and we don't want to lose your business. But we have branches all the, where are you going? I don't know where I'm going. He had to say, and he didn't know where he was going. So he goes on and on like this about Abraham leaving and leaving his gods and leaving everything and going up, not all the way. God said, leave your family and go to a place that I will show you and I will bless you. This is Genesis 12. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing to everybody in the world. In meaning that Jesus would come from Abraham's family. So we find this. That's when the devil starts after the Jews. That's when the devil starts really getting serious about anti-Semitism. When he sees now who, out of all the people in the human race, where this seed of the woman is going to come through. And so he's been trying to wipe them out ever since, and he still is, isn't he? But we know the end of the story, and that God is going to win at the end. And so Abraham obeyed, with obedient faith, when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. Now this inheritance is so wonderful in 
keep your finger here, but go back to Genesis 17 and 19 and 20 to all of these passages about Abraham. You know, he, he was a human being like we are. He, his faith wasn't strong all the time. His faith lapsed and he didn't trust the Lord to keep him from the famine in the land of Canaan. And he went down to Egypt, which was a big mistake. And he got into trouble. His wife was beautiful. And Pharaoh took her into his house and he said, tell him you're my sister so he doesn't kill me. Well, it was half-truth. He was her half-brother. But it was a lie. So God didn't bless him there, nor did, was he a witness to Pharaoh or any of the Egyptians. But God blessed him there anyway, and he wanted to protect because he had, he'd made his promise. And we saw in Galatians, when God swears by himself that he'll do something, then he can't swear by anything higher than himself. And he swore to Abraham that from his loins would come the Savior someday. And so Satan is going to try to thwart that and have Pharaoh step in and, and uh, defile Sarah. But God then sent plagues into Pharaoh's household. And just what they were, we don't know, but enough that he realized that this was somebody's wife. He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Uh, he said, I was afraid you were going to kill me. But he had gotten so rich down there in Egypt that he sent him away. Get out of here. With all of his wealth that he had. So he went home and back to Canaan where he should have been in the first he didn't trust the Lord. See, we all have lapses, don't we? Of times when we, we fail the Lord terribly. And then, then we come back to him and he's so gracious to take us back. So we see back here Genesis in the 15th chapter of Genesis. This is moving. Really, if you, you need to read this over and over again. I, I just can't tell you how important this, the book of Genesis is to understand God's plan and his workings in history and his prophetic teachings that apply to us. But he said in the 15th chapter, God said to him, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward, he said. And God brought him outside and said, Now look toward the stars in heaven. See if you're able to count them, verse 5. And, and God said, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord. And all of his Arabs in Saudi Arabia and all over the world, their descendants of him, and many others are. All these people that came from Keturah, the wife that he married after Sarah, millions more, Abraham was their father. So we have no idea all the people in the earth. He said, if stars, your descendants will be like the stars in heaven. And God says, he believes in the Lord. He believed God, what God said about that. And God reckoned his faith what? for righteousness. So he became righteous by believing in the promises that God would do. He's not seeing them yet, but believing in them. So he said, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how will I know that I'll inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And so this might refer to that Sarah was not real young, three-year-old. <laughs> anyway, he brought these sacrificial animals out and he brought them to Abraham, cut them in two, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Now, other places in Scripture we read that this is a blood covenant, where uh, they, they call it cutting a covenant, where two people make a, a covenant together. One stands on one side and one on the other. Then they have these animals cut into, then they walk in the middle of it. 
signifying, may God do so to me, play me into, if I break the covenant that I made. So that, but now in this case, Abraham's put to sleep. So who does this? God does it all by himself. So he's part of his promise to Abraham. He said, when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Maybe to imagine all that happened to his progeny, all the things they would go through, like even Hitler's Holocaust, all the things the Jewish people had suffered under the Assyrians and under the Babylonians. You just can't imagine under the Russians. Then he said to Abraham, no certainly. I've underlined that no certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years now he's speaking first of the affliction in Egypt 400 years and also the nation whom they serve I will judge Egypt afterward they shall come out with great possessions and we read in Exodus they spoiled the Egyptians when they came out they asked for the Egyptians they hadn't been paid all those 100 years and they took all the gold and the wealth of Egypt with them. And he said, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, four hundred years, so in those days, evidently, see how things pop up? You wonder how long is a generation? Well, today, we may think it's 40 years, maybe, 50. But in, the, in Abraham's day, it was 100 years. In the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites, these would be all the Canaanitish peoples in the land, is not yet complete. So, God is going to give 400 more years for these Canaanite peoples to turn from their terrible, debasing religion and idolatry. This, this was cruel. They find these little bottles with babies in them. And, I mean, it's nothing today because that's what we're doing in America. I can remember when I was young and seeing pictures of this and Dr. Unger's Bible handbook. I just maybe it was maybe it was handbook. And I just that the archaeologists have dug up. It's just terrible that they find there. And so he said, I'm going to give them 400 years. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that there was a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. So God lit the fire on this offering. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant. Or cut a covenant with Abram saying to your now here's how much land to your descendants I've given this land now they've never had it all from the river of Egypt now what do you think that is it's not a wadi I think it's from the Nile from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates now that is a lot of land that they've never had yet and he names the Canaanitish peoples that were there the Canaanites the Canaanites the Canaanites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, until maybe three or four hundred years ago, the scholars laughed at the Genesis. This can't be true. There were never a people called the Hittites. And now the archaeologist state has dug it up, and they had a great empire reaching through most of Turkey, what is today Turkey, the Hittite Empire. So God's always right. See, when you see something and the scientists say, that can't be God's right. He, he will tell you what is, and they'll, the archaeologists say will find it later on. From the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates, the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kenizzites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim. Now, these were the giant peoples that were half angel, half human. The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Jebusites uh, would be Jerusalem. And in those days, many of these people 
like Melchizedek, were believers in the one true God. They hadn't descended yet into this terrible idolatry. So then we see that's their land. Now back to our passage in, in uh, Hebrews. He sojourned, verse 9, in a foreign country, in the land of promise, this land that he promised him, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents. He didn't even build a, he was a sojourner. He was a tent dweller. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. God had said it's going to be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then which of the twelve sons of Jacob would it be that the promise that he's going to be Judah, and then from Judah, but who could come from Judah that would be good when you read in Genesis how terrible he was with his daughter-in-law, but from Judah, and then it moves on to King David, and David. So you see how all the way, that's, that's really the story of his, his bloodline down through the Old Testament, bringing it through the time that he was born of Mary, of Mary in Bethlehem. So, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and the heirs with him of the same promise. What was the promise? That in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The land and the Savior would come from them. For he waited, now notice, he waited for the city. God told me about, he knew about the heavenly city. He waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, what is that city? Well, he waited for it. We're still waiting for it, aren't we? Look what it is. Here's where we see it. Read about it. We haven't come to this yet. Chapter 21 of Revelation and 22 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard, see, Abraham was looking for this city. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God. This city is really called the tabernacle of God. And if you don't understand this, because you maybe haven't read about the tabernacle in the wilderness, that it was a picture of Jesus and God dying in the midst of his people, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, but this is going to be a glorious tabernacle. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Isn't that going to be wonderful? Margie just been to a funeral this morning. No more death and sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give, underline this verse, I will give of the fountain of the water of life. Jesus said, remember, in the seventh chapter, John, drink of me. I'm not, I'm the water of life. I will give of the fountain of the water of life. You have to buy it? No, freely. It's a gift. Freely to him who's thirsty. See, that's God's picture. If you're thirsty, you can have this gift. A lot of people aren't thirsty for salvation either. I'm thirsty for all that God has for me. Not only salvation, but knowing what he has in this book. And that's what I want to instill in everybody that I teach. The thirst for God's word. Everyone is thirsty. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. 
and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And First John 5, 4 and 5 say, Who is he that overcometh? Well, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So you're an overcomer if you believe it. There will be rewards, you know, for overcomers. Some will get more than others. But you're an overcomer if you believe in Jesus. Then he says, this is a picture of the lost. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part. Who's the father of lies? Satan is. That's the father of the lies about evolution and about the Bible and all the lies that we do. Uh, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So this, I've just written in my margin, all the lies. And each talks about this too. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me, John says, and talked to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, who's the bride? That's, Jesus. That's the church. The Lamb's wife. Who is God's bride or wife in the Bible? His unfaithful wife, Israel. And that's what the book of Hosea is about. An unfaithful wife. It's just... That's the way they've been. He's given them everything, and yet they didn't trust him. And I'm kind of true of the, the Lamb's pride. We haven't done such a good job either. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city. This is what Abraham looked for. The holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Can you imagine this diamond star coming out of heaven? And it's the city that Abraham's looking for that we're going to spend eternity in. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. Now, the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So this city's going to be for, you know, the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. And he, taught, he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square. It's 1,380 miles. And its length is as great as its breadth. This is huge, like from the Atlantic to the middle of this country. A huge city. And as Dr. Morris, in his book on the Revelation Records, he says, we're all going to have about 18 acres, each one. But I don't know what we're going to do with all that, all that land. Because this is a huge place. He said, and he measured the city with a reed, uh, how long it was. Then he measured the wall, 144 cubits according to the measure of an angel. And the construction of the wall was of jasper. That's like diamond. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. I've never seen gold that looks like glass of you, so gold that you can see through, but God says it's there, so that's it's going to be, and the foundations of the wall were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald. These are all the colors that God gave when he gave the promise of the rainbow. These are the same in these stones, the same colors that, that the rainbow has. And the fifth sardonyx, the sardius, red, the chrysolite, the girl, the topaz works into the lavender, the chrysocosite, the, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Really, the dark lavender. And the twelve gates, the twelve pearls, 
12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I just love pearls. And imagine a whole, well, you just can't imagine how. And Abraham was thrilled about God shared this with him. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. And the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved will walk. The kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There will be no night there, and they will bring the glory and honor of the nations. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you believe in Jesus, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And then he showed me a pure river of water of life, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. We don't haven't seen that since Eden, have we? The tree of life's going to appear again. It's for twelve fruits, each one yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation, or the, the service, or the health of the nation. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their forehead. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, no light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And then he says, these are faithful and true words. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel, John said, to show his servants the things which, when they begin to happen, will happen quickly. Behold, I am coming quickly. And when he does, it's going to be quick. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You don't need to pray that it will be soon. But this is what Abraham saw in verse 10 of chapter 11. He waited for the city, which has foundations, imagine those foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seeds. And she bore a child when she was past the age. See, God waited until all human hope was gone. So both Abraham and Sarah. She was 90, he was over 100. When he was 86, he still was able to have Ishmael. Imagine that. But he had Ishmael then, because he's had trouble with the descendants of Ishmael, the Jewish people. Isaac and Ishmael have had trouble ever since, haven't they? You're all the Arabs. Because she judged him, but Sarah bore a child at 90, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Nothing about her slipping back and lapsing into unbelief, saying, I'm, I'm tired of waiting for this child to be born. Take my Egyptian maid and have a child by her. And so that's what he did, and, and Ishmael was born. And he was about 13 when Isaac was born, and he was always um, perverse and lean towards evil things, because it says that when this party was going on for Ishmael, when he was king of age, or he was that he was making them seem gestures. Now that's, what that, that's what that Hebrew really means. So you see how when they're saved, it's different. But when they aren't, they can be very obscene. Not that all the others can't be. I could tell you things that happened to me when I was over in Israel. Terrible things that I saw. Sexually perverse. Anyway, he said, he waited for the city, so Sarah received faith to bear a child when she was past age, for she judged him faithful with promise. 
see how God doesn't bring our sins into this, they're forgotten and forgiven. See, that's what he does with you and me. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, it means sexually dead, and I've written in my Bible, seven deaths. You know, there's, um, there's physical death. That's, that's what happened to your friend today, about a friend, a physical death. Then there's spiritual death, which is separation from God forever and ever. There's sexual death, which means you're too old to have any children, Romans 4. There's positional death, Romans 6. There's temporal death, you're dead while you live, Romans 8. There's operational death in James 2. You just aren't producing anything for the Lord. See, there's that. There are all these deaths, and there's spiritual and the second death, which the last one is the second death, which I'm going to read in Revelation with those that don't believe in Jesus after the final great white throne judgment will be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. No, no other chance. So, if we die today, we'll never have another chance to die. We won't have a second death, will we? Because we're saved. But anyway, because therefore from one man and him as good as dead, because this is sexually dead, there were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith. He's talking about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, so far. These all died in faith, not having received the promises of a Savior. He hadn't come yet. wouldn't come for 4,000 years after, you know, from Abraham's time, 2,000 years, from 4,000 years from Adam's time. He wouldn't come till then. They hadn't received the promises, but what? Having seen them afar off, were assured of them. Now, another place we read in John 8, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. What did they see? Where did they see this? Well, you can't understand it unless you have ten times God's voice in the stars or understand God's ancient astronomy of placing the stars and constellations. He named them all. He put them in a certain place in the heavens to tell a story. And the names of the stars tell the story of that constellation, that particular one. But so God made these stars, put them in the heavens to teach what would later be in the Bible. We don't need it today. This is ancient astronomy. That thing I sent out to you all, that thing is uh, sacred and profane history of the world that you can look up. But I read it all. And I got to the whole thing. I thought, this is all wrong. 480 pages wrong because they don't know anything about the gospel and the stars, how heathenism came to be. They have all these conjectures and all this, and it did come to be. But Satan never thinks of anything new. He takes the truth and corrupts it. And that's what he did. He starts voicing the stars and started back what long ago. And that's another story that it, I think Ken mentions it in his book and in his gospel and the stars. And just like I did that with the pyramids, Mark is now editing one put on CD of God's voice in the sky so all of you can have that we'll put it on the web and let everybody hear it um, because it's so excellent and he talks about this and God talks about it often he names these stars in the book of Job Orion or the Pleiades Nazareth which means the way which is the word for the zodiac means the way but now it's corrupted now people say what's your sign and I'll, I'll say, my sign, that's not my sign, if there's a Virgo or whatever. Oh, that's not, that's about Jesus coming to be born of a virgin. 
if, if you know this, you can turn it back on them and make them see that, that all of that is foolishness and you don't go by that at all. Astrology is Satan, Satanic. They, all, they saw these promises. They saw Virgo in the heavens. And they, they saw in her hand the main star named the branch that would be born. And they saw underneath, next to her, a woman with a child in her lap. And, and this would be the, the one born of the virgin. And underneath that was um, the centaur uh, with the, the head and carpet of a man and the body of, a, of an animal, a horse. And it's a two-natured creature picturing that, that God, the born of the virgin, would be a two-natured God and man in one person. How do you understand that? Well, the main star in the hoof of the horse is the heretofore, the heretofore and the hereafter. I think the Hebrew word or the Arabic is Koran. All these words show you, and that between the, the legs of the horse and the, the southern cross, that the main side is crushed, cut off. So this God man would be cut off. You see, right in the first constellation, they would understand that a virgin was going to bear a son, and he would be a two natured creature, God and man in one person, but he would suffer because in this. this Man, the the defends us is killing an animal. I don't know what it is. It's called wolf, but it isn't. Probably a lamb is in, in the ancient planetary. So here is God allowing God to die. I mean, this is profound, and but they asked all in heaven. They do it, and so they saw them afar off. These promises, they were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You might write in your margin, John 8, 56, and uh, if you don't have Bullinger's The Gospel and the Stars, just read the first chapter, which is so wonderful in that book. And you can all you can get it at any Christian bookstore, and you can order it probably online or get it used someplace. But you need one just to know all these things. And you don't need to know it all, just a little bit. It's where he tells in the first chapter so much about these constellations and how they're connected with the descendants of Abraham somewhere. That each of the tribes on their bagel or their wherever they wore, they had one of the signs. And so uh, we know that Judah was the sign had the lion of the tribe of Judah. And each one of them had one of the zodiac. And some of the ancient ancient um, synagogues, uh, the floors were laid in mosaic tile with this with these signs of the, of the zodiac in them, signifying it's always been connected with Israel. Long ago, maybe 20 years ago, I have a book that has the pictures of stamps that the Israeli government put out long ago. After they became, became a nation, they, they put out the stamps with each of these signs on the stamps. Wouldn't it be fun to get some of those stamps? Anyway, they saw these promises of off, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Faith looks to the future. Uh, even though you haven't seen it, you believe it, because God says it. And truly, if they'd called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to, be, to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heaven, heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He is very adamant. He has prepared a city for them. And then by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
and he who had seen God's sight in Abraham's sight. He'd already done this. He'd offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom was this spoken of in John 3.15. God gave his only begotten son. Do you think this is a picture of what God would do with his only begotten son? Abram offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Accounting that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figurative sense. He was as good as dead in verse 12. And so God's saying, if you can bring a boy out of this dead body, you can bring him back to life. And I want us to just turn back there for a moment to Genesis 22, because this is one of the most precious pictures in the Bible of God and Jesus going together to the cross. It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now, this is in his old age. Tested Abraham. We'll be tested all through our lives. Tested Abraham and said to him, you know, and I often say to young Christians, we start out with the ground and with a rush, but let's end well. We want to have the end of the story. God says, when we come, well done, now, good and faithful slave, and faithful servant. So it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Now, see, he had another son 13 years older. What was his name? Ishmael. But in God's eyes, Isaac was the one. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. This is the first use of the word love in the Old Testament. God so loved his son. Whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. If you just go to a place that I know about, there's something very important that's going to happen someday. That's where my son's going to die. So he takes him a three-day journey right to the very mountain where Jesus dies on the cross. So this is a very important place of Jerusalem. Go to the land of Moriah, offering there the bird offering, the first of the offering, which all of them, he knew about it even before the time of Moses. When Moses came, God gave him five offerings, and the first was the bird offering where the whole animal was presented as an offering to God. So this is the son offered to God on one of the mountains that I'll tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place, underline that, of which God had told him. Then, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. He went about 18 miles a day, and on the third day, he saw this place afar off. And Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder. And he's not a young boy. He's probably the age that Jesus was. Probably the age 33 when he went to the cross. Because he's able to say, Now, Dad, come on, I'm not going to get on this. I'm not going to be this sacrifice. But see, God, Jesus wasn't that way, was he? He was willing to do the Father's will. So he said, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. See, his faith, counting that God was able to raise him, even from the dead. He believed that. We will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. 
But I you know that the prayer that the Lord Jesus did in, in the seventeenth chapter of John, you know, Father, because the Father was gonna go with him up to the cross all the way, but yet he had to go through with it. Or you and I would never go to heaven if he hadn't. He hadn't been that sacrifice and gone if he hadn't gone through with it, there would have been no way for sin to be covered for the human race at all. It took the blood of the Son of God as a burnt sacrifice. And so he took the blood and Isaac his son, and Isaac then said to Abraham, his father, verse 7, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, the where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And you know what? It just makes good sense about me because <laughs> keep your finger here and in Hebrews and go to the fifth chapter of Revelation because I just, this makes tears come to my eyes when I think about this. In the fifth chapter of Revelation, John sees this. He said he's wanting to open this scroll that's going to tell of all that's going to happen on earth from John's time on. And he said nobody could open the scroll. And so John said in verse 4, chapter 5, I wept much because no one was unworthy to open and read the scroll or look at it or of a legal right to open it. But one of the elders said, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's that, Jesus, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and loose the seven seals. Then I looked, John said, and behold, in the midst of this heavenly scene, the throne, and of the four living creatures, the living ones, and in the middle of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. It looked like it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then the lamb came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him and sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You're worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and you've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and saw the, heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. Sounds like our national debt, doesn't it? Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, seven things. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power to be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, the Father and the Son, forever and ever. And so we come back here and we see the same picture because uh, Isaac said, Here is the Lamb for a burnt offering. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself the Lamb for a burnt offering. Could you read this two ways? God will provide himself. himself. God himself would be the Lamb. God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And see, this is the obedient son that allowed himself to have this happen to him. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. But did God withhold his son, his only son? No. He let him go through with it. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram, caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide. And it's Jehovah Jireh, The Lord will provide a sacrifice for me, is what it means in the Hebrew. And then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, like we read in Galatians, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. In blessing I will bless you. In multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, underline these verses, in your seed, that's Jesus, not seed, he had many seeds. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be, be blessed because what? You have obeyed my voice. So the Abram returned the two young men, they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So this is a wonderful story of God leaving Abraham to a place that he knew about something that happened, Mount Calvary, which is Moriah. This is the place the plague was stayed in the days of David, and David bought the property from a Jebusite, Jebusite for the people that lived in Jerusalem. So he bought this from him. Uh, and it was the place then that he was going to build the temple. But it's the same place that Abraham sacrificed Isaac, the temple was built, and Jesus died. Don't you think Jerusalem is a very special place in God's eyes? And the other places says he never takes his eyes off of it. And he doesn't like what's happening there today. And doesn't like countries that are forcing them to give it up at all. Well, we'll close today and we'll finish it. We'll, we'll move on, we will, in Hebrews. We'll move on in Hebrews about Isaac. The last verse was accounting that God was able to raise him even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Next week we'll take a little bit about Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Joseph, and then Moses. Imagine this verse in verse 26. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ. How did he know about Jesus Christ? They knew about Jesus Christ. Abraham knew about him. They knew from the gospel and the Messiah. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, Moses did greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Bless it to our hearts. You promised to do that. And bless our lives as a result of looking into these passages of scripture. Bless our families. Meet all of our needs and, and answer the prayers that, that we have for those in our family that maybe don't know you at all or don't know you very well and we want them to, to come to, to have a, a desire to search the scriptures and to take them into their lives and live by them so Lord we ask for our families in Jesus name and our all of our loved ones in Jesus name Amen <laughs>